gentlemen. We have a special treat for you today. We have the one, the only. Welcome to the State Lines Network. Hey friends, welcome to episode 21 of Boldly Going Podcast, uh, where we say creative, brilliant, inspirational people of the universe right here on planet Earth. And man, today is uh, a... Today's a tough episode. It's going to be great. It's a really, really great episode to record. Uh, but man, you need to you need to strap on your uh, seatbelt because uh, this is uh, somewhat of a gut wrenching episode. Hearing the story of the guy you're going to hear, uh, it's a little different than normal. A lot of times, you on on here, you hear stories from people of of uh, that are boldly going by doing their uh, launching a business or the art that they're doing or um, chasing a dream in some way. And this one's a little different in that uh, the story you're going to hear today, the uh, interview with my friend Daniel Dodd, or some, some of you listening might know him as Cole, Daniel Cole Dodd. Uh, he is, uh, his story and his boldly going story is about uh, putting his life back together and uh, some decisions that he made. And um, you're going to hear about some decisions he made in his marriage and how that went, <clears throat> and him coming back from that and boldly uh, being authentic and open about that and uh, boldly going to have a new chapter to his marriage, a new chapter to his family, and uh, which has led him to do some other things as well and led him into some new ventures in life. But man, uh, what a story, uh, really, really inspirational, incredible story uh, from Daniel uh, I love his authenticity and uh, some and what he says. The title of this episode is actually something he said in the episode, which I think is very true, a very bold statement, and a very on point statement that authenticity is provocative. Authenticity is provocative, and that's so true. I think it's very poignant to uh, our culture and what's going on in our world right now. What's going on in uh, politics and all kinds of other things. Just authenticity is very provocative. Authenticity is needed. Uh, because we have an identity identity crisis, which is something that he says uh, in the episode as well. So, um, man, strap in, get ready for this. Uh, one of the other things that we talk about in uh, in this episode is that a venture that he has started called Humanities, and uh, it sounds like yeah, okay, it sounds like a uh, college class, but it's actually not that. It's a uh, venture that he's uh, excited about, something he's kind of starting into, involving clean water and. Uh, some things of that, but if you want to check him out, follow him in regards to that on Instagram, uh, it's humanities, but it's spelled H U E M A N A T E E S. So Hugh, H U E manatees, uh, M A N A T E E S. So humanities, check that out. You can also check him out at humanities.org spelled the same way humanities.org. It's a really interesting project that he's working on. Uh, But I really, really want you to hear his story of uh, hope, and and hopefully it will be an inspiration to you and will help uh, you in some way. So uh, before we jump into it, uh, as always, this podcast is part of the State Lines Podcast Network. Some beautiful things going on at the State Lines Network. Go to state-lines.com. You can uh, find other podcasts there. You can find some great articles there, just some cool stuff happening on the website there and in the, in the network. So go check that out. Follow the, follow the other podcasts as well. Go download them. Even if you don't listen to them, download them. But you should listen to them because they're all brilliant. 
And uh, also, we always like to encourage you to get involved in your community. Do that. Get involved in your community. Find an organization that you're passionate about uh, that is doing something that you love. I would love for you to join our organization, uh, my organization that I run called Current Initiatives at Engage Current. And you can check us out online at Engage Current and EngageCurrent.org. Christmas season is coming up. We're going to be talking about uh, we'll be doing a thing in the Christmas season called Affordable Christmas. Would love for you to check that out. ChristmasByCurrent.org. You can volunteer. You can be a part of that uh, this Christmas season, a creative way to give back and help people uh, in a dignifying way and an empowering way around the holidays. So please check out those things. Check out State Lines, all that. And uh, check out Daniel online at Humanities. Now, get ready, strap in, episode 21, authenticity is provocative. You're going to hear some really authentic conversation today from Daniel about his life, his marriage, and uh, the lessons he's learned, and hopefully that'll be a, a help to you as well. All right, here we go. Yeah, I'm excited about it. It's gonna be, it's gonna be pretty awesome. I got married when I was 22, and okay. I didn't put any thought into it at all. Like, actually, I just got married just to get married, but it paid off because <clears throat> it, and my life changed, you know. But before that, I was it was because of my uh, mental illness that I had. Um, that's what I call it, anyway. Yeah. But if I could have done things over, I would have done it the way you did, like. Take your time, enjoy life. Don't rush into becoming a family. I love my family, and I yeah. wouldn't trade them for anything. But knowing what I know now, I would have taken the time and enjoyed life more. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That's I want so to talk about say. That's so hard to say to people. You know, like because you, it's almost like you're saying, ah, "I wish I didn't have kids." You know, but <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying that. Like, right? I love my kids. No, it totally makes sense. Uh, which I actually want to get into that because that's part of the reason you're on the podcast. Okay. Because I want to talk a little bit about that. So let me. We've been recording, so. Oh yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't say anything mean about your kids or <laughs> wife or. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, we've been uh, just uh, for the audience, just to give a quick introduction. Uh, Daniel Dodd uh, is on the podcast, our guest, and uh, um, Humanities is a company that you've started recently correct and some other stuff but and really uh, so podcasts being uh, called boldly going what I call creative brilliant inspirational people of the universe on planet earth and uh, part of part of the conversation and the reason I went to the podcast is because of humanities I want to talk about that but also um, kind of your story that we've talked about a little bit of um, what you've been through in regards to marriage and family oh, and all that kind that. of stuff. I actually, I don't, I don't even care if we talk about humanities. I know you don't. <laughs> I, I know you don't because um, I, I want to talk about it a little bit, but um, more than that, that's I want that to be a piece. But more than that is really what you've gone through because I, uh, this story is fascinating, and to me, what you're doing and what you're living out is to me kind of the definition of boldly going because you've had to make some bold steps and all that just to just to put life back together mm-hmm. for yourself 
Thanks, man. So, yeah, of course. Yeah, thank you. So, um, I guess give a little background on that. Uh, you hate your kids and you wish you would have <laughs> waited. <laughs> I wish I was going to the Czech Republic. <laughs> I, uh, no, yeah. So give, I guess, give a little, give a little background on your story. Where I, you're at, you know, I, I've probably told this, uh, my, you know, what you would call my testimony. I've probably told it, my story, probably two thousand times now, and I can still never really figure out a good way to tell it mm-hmm. to encompass everything, but without going so in depth. Yeah, but there's just so much to it. So, let, let me give some backdrop context. Okay, um, from my side. Real quick, uh, when we met, you were a pastor mm-hmm. of a church in Plant City, and ministry kind of been your experience for a good while, right? Good. We went to the same college, yeah. same Bible college, but years apart from each other. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so we know all the same people. Yeah, we know a lot of the same people. And um, so when I first met you, you were in ministry. You were a pastor. On the surface, everything looked great. Looked like your life, like you had the perfect, perfect family, perfect life. Perfect job, young pastor of this church, and uh, at some point it all kind of fell apart, and you disappeared for a while, <laughs> and then you came back around. So, I guess maybe pick up. Yeah, there's no, there. there's no, uh, like you don't have to be afraid of saying anything. Cause it's, no, I know. It's yeah, yeah. Well, because I don't want to say. I want you to say. Okay, it. I want cool. you to talk right. about it. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to to keep it, uh, get just the main. The main portions that need to be said, but I, when I was when I was growing up, I I was in a split home, and the reason I, I share this part is because this is what ingrained into my identity, um, who I was, that made me operate the way I did. Um, so I, I, I had this revolving door of father figures in my life. Um, you know, my mom was married multiple times; um, she had boyfriends too, and I would rarely see my dad. And uh, my mom. And that side of my family, that environment set the stage of, of me not thinking I was ever good enough. Like I, I thought that I was worthless. I was always told that I was not going to amount to anything in life. I was told I was not going to be successful. Um, everything, it was just a focus on all my failures. And I just felt like, like I couldn't impress anybody. Like I couldn't, nobody was happy with me. And it was very performance based and it taught me to put on masks. I could become whatever you wanted me to be as long as I would get approval from you because I was hungry for approval, for people's approval, Mm -hmm. just to know that I was good enough. Um, As I became a teenager, um, you know, that turned into me wanting uh, approval from not just my peers, but relationships too. So I I became like crazy about girls, but I was, it was only the girls that were crazy about me. Like, uh, I would have multiple relationships going at the same time and it was all girls that were crazy about me but once they weren't crazy about me it thrown to the curb you know it was just this mm-hmm. approval thing I didn't see it at the time <clears throat> so I, I even think that that my um, quote salvation was all based on mask wearing uh, mm-hmm. I was a 17 year old in a private school because I had gotten in trouble in public school uh, I was for my whole junior year in this Christian school. I was the bad boy, and all the girls love the bad boy at a Christian school. And and all the teachers are like, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna pray over him and see him come to to know the Lord Jesus." And mm-hmm. and it's like you get it's 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 all positive attention, you know, yeah. and approval. But my and 
to clarify, we grew up in a in a very conservative, legalistic, very legalistic, yeah. very conservative yeah. type of Christianity. Absolutely, and I and yeah, and and I have a I have a huge heart. Um, well, we're not going. I'm not going to get into it because I could go on. I can go on a huge rabbit trail about my heart for the legalistic side of church. Sure, because um, I feel like not many people um, they just turn their they they turn their back to them mm-hmm. and then. Say well, they're just hateful and condemning. I just think they're blind, and I think they're delusions. But anyway, yeah. So yeah, we were in a very judgmental circle, a very legalistic circle. And um, my senior year, it was like the, all the approval that I was getting from being the bad kid was had run out. Uh, the girls weren't. It was like, okay, we get it. You're a bad boy. We get it. Uh, the, the teachers were like looking for a reason to kick me out now, and and I think. That mixed with my senior year was when 9-11 happened, the beginning of my senior year. And I think that the, the whole thing and me just being in delusion and blah, 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 blah. I, I thought, you know, my next step is to get saved, quote. And so I, I, I put on what I see now is I put on a salvation mask and I started doing what I thought a Christian is supposed to do. But, but that was about the extent of it. And the thing I learned, and this, this started... Uh, a long series of me just wearing the mask and what I learned is I could put on this mask of being a Christian but when I was by myself I could take the mask off and what you don't realize is when you're wearing the mask and and presenting yourself as this holy person this Christian um, you, and you're, you're getting all this approval because that was a big story you know the, the, mm-hmm. the they called me Cole back then <laughs> Cole used to be a drug dealer which I wasn't but I told him I was he used to be a drug dealer. Now he's come to know Jesus. And they gave me all these Christian awards at the end of my senior year and, and um, Christian athlete awards. And I was a horrible athlete. I was not a good athlete. But they gave me all these awards because of my Christian character, you know? Yeah. And so um, I was approval, approval, approval. And I realized that now that when I was putting that mask on, I was attaching my morality to that mask. And so when I took that mask off, my morality came off with it. And I could do whatever I want to and have no guilt, no conviction over it. And whatever. So here I am in my uh, late teens, early twenties now, uh, then in that time of my life where I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. I've got into ministry and I am obsessed and addicted to approval. I don't know it. Um, and at the same time, um, I'm, I'm living behind these masks and I'm, I've become delusional to these masks that I'm wearing and I'm hurting everybody um, gradually. So, uh, I got married, um, had two kids and when my wife was pregnant with, um, my, my first child, my daughter, I have to say this though. I have to, I have to give a little background to my wife because when, when I met my wife, she had a lot of anger in her and she, it was like, she was the first person that I could not impress, but she was beautiful to me. Mm. And in the past, if you were, if you were, if I couldn't impress you, I really didn't care. Yeah. But for her, it was different because she was so. I felt like she was out of my league, you mm-hmm. know. And I could, I had a hard time impressing her, but she seemed like she really liked me. But then it was just like my same old tricks weren't working with her. And uh, so we got we got married, and in the first year of our marriage, it was oh my, <laughs> it was horrible. We, we had the cops called on us several times because she would just blow up on me for no reason. And I was really 
you know, I had been accustomed to putting on masks, so I could put on a good husband mask, mm -hmm. and I did that. I was a great husband in the first year and two years of our marriage, and uh, she she would do crazy things like hit me because I wouldn't take her dancing. I'd come home Friday night from work, and she'd want to go dancing, and I'd say, you know what, let me let's just rest tonight. I've worked all week, and well, I'll take you out tomorrow. And out of nowhere, she just clocked me upside the head. No way. Yeah, it was rough. And then she, she was, um, and I, and we, we talk, she and I both talk about it very lightly now because this is not who she is anymore. Um, and that's a, that's a whole nother story, but she, she, we, we had to Baker act her because she got suicidal. Uh, and this was like one, not even wow. a year into our marriage. She was suicidal no because way. when we, when we got married, I was an insurance adjuster and then I, I went back into the ministry after we got married, and mm -hmm. she got royally pissed that I went back in the ministry. Really? Yeah, because she didn't marry a pastor. She married an oh, insurance wow. adjuster. And so I was... I, I, so time out for a second. Yeah, yeah. Did you, did you guys have that conversation prior to marriage that oh, that no. was something you wanted to do or that you were... Well, when we, when we were dating, I was a youth pastor. Okay. And... Yeah. When and we were still dating, I resigned from being a youth pastor because we were going out and partying on the weekends, and then I was showing up on Sunday, and I was like, you know what, this is kind of like a double standard. Yeah, I'm just going to choose the other for for now, and I resigned as the youth pastor, and um, and then then after that we got married, and okay. then after I got married, after we got married, I I I felt like there was a position in my church for a youth pastor again, mm -hmm. and I thought I'm the only one to do this, so I'm going to do it. And so I, without talking to her. Yeah, I was going to ask, yeah, yeah, did yeah, you no, talk no. to her about Absolutely you just, not. Oh, no. man. Okay. First year of marriage, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to learn lessons here, so. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, that, that, that spawned uh, a really, really, really bad season for okay. us. Um, she got into cutting um, and she got very suicidal, um, but it was all for attention. It was, Wow. So was that traumatic for her? It wasn't. Um, it wasn't that the fact that I, I I went into the ministry that was traumatic for her. Uh, she had a lot of other things going on inside of her. She had a lot of anger inside of her that she had never resolved. She had um, a lot of bitterness to her family that she mm -hmm. had not resolved. Um, and so, she was very fragile too. She was a very fragile person. So like the smallest things would set her off and she would go into like a, almost like a blind rage at the time. And, um, the things that she was doing at the time was, was all clearly psychologically for attention. Like when she got into the cutting, she was cutting her wrists instead of her legs, you know, psychologically they tell you there's two different things going on there. If you cut your legs, there's something deeper going on there. But if you are where no one can see it, right. but if you're putting it where, where you're on where your people wrist, see you it. want people to yeah. see it. It's a cry for help, you know? So she was doing things like that, and um, so some crazy things were going on with that. And and I said all that not to throw her under the bus. Sure, she yeah. is not that person anymore. She's had like a, a miraculous change in her heart because she got rid of the bitterness and got rid of the anger that she had. Um, and that's that's like I said, that's a whole other story. But the reason I said all that is because so let me ask you this. Yeah, yeah pause for a second. Um, her her making that change in going down that road and dressing all those things was that because did that happen after everything fell apart for you absolutely and, yeah 
That happened okay. last this year. The February, oh, okay. February of this year that happened. Got for, it. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. So, and we can we can come back to that if you want. Cause sure. Yes. That's that's important to note too. Um, but the reason I said all that is to set up um, what was going on in our marriage that worked up to my first calamity was um, here I had, I had grown up where nothing was good enough for my mom, nothing was good enough for my family, nothing was good enough for anybody, and then I get married and nothing is good enough for her. Like I was a good husband. I was I was just following the role that I saw in my dad, even though I didn't see him that much. I know he was a good man and he was a good husband. Um, and so I, I was trying to be everything that I needed to be, but it just wasn't enough. She would still fly off the handle over to the smallest things. And so <clears throat> then one night she was, when she was pregnant with our daughter, she, um, she was up in Jacksonville visiting some friends and, or no, her uncle. And, uh, we got in a fight over the phone and over nothing. I'm at home by myself and we got in a fight over the phone and I don't remember what it was about, but it was, uh, it was again, something just ridiculous and made no sense to even get mad about. And at the same time, this the girl that uh, we had worked with at the, at the hospital, who was a nurse, was texting me. Um, and maybe she wasn't texting me because I think it was before texting got big. I think she was calling me saying, hey, and I knew she and I had a fling before mm-hmm. I met my wife. And I knew that she was crazy about me. And I knew. And so in a moment of me feeling like I'm not good enough for my wife, but I'm I'm everything for this girl. Yeah. I justified some actions and I said, I'm going to go hang out with her. There's nobody here. I'm going to go hang out with her. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to go hang out with her. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was all justifying. So obviously that, that didn't work out the way I, I I'd hoped it did. I ended up cheating on my wife and I hated myself from the get-go. I told myself I was never going to do that again. I buried it, didn't tell anybody. Um, couple years went by and 2011 my wife and I separated and uh, I was out I was not in the ministry at the time but uh, we separated and I I had a relationship with um, two girls then at that time after that separation just because I was feeling like I wasn't I wasn't good enough I wasn't you know by then it, it really started becoming like a sickness in me and I didn't understand any of it and so my wife and I got back together, um, and then but those relationships stayed on and off, more of an emotional uh, affair, but it was also pretty physical on some aspects. And then um, I think the final straw for me was was one night. Um, I, I, this was right before I became the pastor of the of the church in Plant City. I was the worship pastor out there, and we lived in Riverview, and the church was in Plant City, so there was a, about forty five minute drive between the two two worlds apart and I I remember one night I went out I just I liked going out by myself to get a drink Um, I'd go out to a bar or something go to a pool hall and I used to tell myself I I like going out to get a drink but what I was really doing was going out to see if 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 I could be a bait if I was worthy enough you know Mm. I was delusional but subconsciously it's like I'm putting myself out here to see if I get any looks you know I take Mm -hmm. my, my ring off or whatever and um, <clears throat> one night I, I, uh, I had a girl take me home, and I think that was that was like the final straw for me because, you know, here I am a married man, um, in in ministry, uh, everybody looks up to me at my church, everybody in my my circles look up to me, and, and 
Nobody knows this about me except for the girls that I've been with. And here I am having a one night stand with some <clears throat> random stranger. <clears throat> and um, after that, I went to Nepal. I went to the country of Nepal on a mission trip. Can you believe that? <laughs> I'm doing uh, ministry work, you know. And uh, I really thought that I, that I was going to die on that trip. I, I really had convinced myself that I don't deserve to live. You know, uh, nobody knows my secret is going to go to the grave with me. I'm just going to die on this trip. In fact, up until the moment, my last plane trip, no, my, not my last, that second to last plane trip was fl- flying from Kathmandu to Abu Dhabi, um, United Arab Emirates. And that plane trip over those mountain regions in Pakistan, oh my, I, I, I was sitting in the back of the plane and I've never been so sure that I was about to die in that moment. The turbulence was so bad. I could see the, the I guess it's called the fuselage of the plane. I could yeah. see it like bowing and bending. And people, were like, arms were flying up in the air. People were throwing up, crying, screaming. I, I literally thought this was it. I'm like, well, this is it. You know, this is the, the reckoning of all of my sins and whatever. A very punishment mentality. Yeah. But, <clears throat> so yeah, that was couple months went by I became the pastor I had, I had cut off all communication because I was kind of like I'm going to control this you know I'm I don't know why I think this way but I'm going to control it so I'm not going to talk to these two girls that I had emotional affairs with and physical affairs I'm not going to go out to the bars anymore I'm not going to do those things anymore I'm going to control this and then I became the pastor of the church and then um, like three months four months into it I was just like I didn't know what else to do, but I hated myself so much. I knew that I, I knew that no one was going to know. No one would ever know because the girls that did know, they were never going to say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were too ashamed themselves. And I was too ashamed and I, I could never do it. And I just knew no one was ever going to know, but, but I was going to know. And I, and I knew that I was not the man that I was built to be. I was not uh, who I was supposed to be. And I knew that, that I, could, I had it in me to be a good dad. And I knew I had it in me to be a good husband. I, don't, I just didn't know where it went. And I, I didn't know what else to do but just to confess everything and say, enough's enough. This is, here's what I did. I don't know why I did it. I really don't. Um, it's not because I don't love you. It's not because um, I, I don't like you. It's something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with the way I think. And I don't know why. And I want to find out. And I believe, and I told my wife this, I said, I owe it to you for you to know, and I owe it to you to give you the chance to leave. But, mm. but I want to be the man that I'm supposed to be. I want to be the man that God made me to be. Um, and I, all I'm asking is that you help me through that journey. So obviously it was very painful to hear. I'm freezing in here. Right. Uh, no, leave it, leave it. That's fine. I'm just going <laughs> to no, think of warm tones. Okay, keep talking. Um, so, then I, I, it's actually more of a supernatural um, encounter that I had more than that. It wasn't just me deciding. It was, I, I, I heard, I specifically heard a voice tell me, you need to tell her. And, um, and that's a long story too, but I guess I can kind of jump into it. Are you going to edit any of this, like for time? No. Oh, great. <laughs> this one's going to be like four hours. <laughs> um, <clears throat> my, when the night I confessed, 
I was sitting on the back porch with my wife. We had just gone out on a date, um, and, and this was just really bothering me. Now, by this time, I had told one person. I had told my friend Caleb. Mm, okay. And you know Caleb. Yeah. Um, and I had told him, and he was so he was such a champion about it. He was like, I, I told him, and he's like, and he was my worship pastor at my church. Right. I was the pastor. He was the worship pastor. And I told him this on his back porch. And I told him everything. And he said, well, just know this. I'm not going anywhere. You know you need to, you know what you need to do about this, but I'm not going to force you to do anything with this. I'll take this to the grave if you want me to, but you know what you need to do about it. And I'm not looking at you any different. In fact, I admire you more now for telling me. Mm. And, and, um, those, that, those words were huge to me because I was, you know, you know, the circles that we come from, we were, I was used to someone standing up and casting me out of the city, you know, for yeah. being such a heathen. Right. Um, so anyway, I was sitting on the back porch with my wife and, um, we had just gone on a date and my, my ritual at night is to sit on the back porch, still is today, sit on the back porch and smoke a cigar at night. And so I'm sitting there and she was talking with me and stuff. And, uh, I'm not hearing a word she's saying because I had just told Caleb about a week prior and I'm just thinking, I know I need to confess. I know I need to confess. And it's the only thing I can do. It's the only thing I can do. Blah, blah, blah. And I, I heard she's talking and it's like nothing just wah, 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 wah. And, um, I heard a voice say, tell her. And I just like had this moment where I, I was conversing with God in, in, in my mind. And I said, I, I can't, I can't do that. I can't tell her. And he said, tell her. And I said, I, I can't. If I do that, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my family. I'm going to lose friends. I'm going to be cast out. You know, I'm going to lose everything. Mm-hmm. And, and I heard this voice. I heard, I heard the voice say, do you trust me? And I thought, yeah, of course I trust you. You're God. You know, I'm going to trust you. Then tell her. And I went, went back and forth like three times. Like, I, I can't. If I do that, this is going to happen, blah, 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 blah. And it just kept going in circles. Just, do you trust me? Yes, I trust you. Finally, I said, um, uh, in my head, I said, all right, look, I trust you. And if you want this to happen, you got to set me up. You set me up for this, I will be a big boy and I will put my big boy pants on and, and I'll, I'll go with it. And I'll just see what happens. And the minute those that thought left my brain, my wife, it's like all the noise, the white noise went whoosh, and she goes, why do you look so deep in thought? And, uh, and, I, and then I heard the, the same voice. There you go, big boy. And I was like, crap. <laughs> and so I said, you know, we have to have a talk. And, uh, and then I proceeded to tell her. But at first, it, it was like, I, I don't know a better uh, explanation because I don't know what a proverbial hell would feel like. But... It was the, the most painful thing I've ever been through to go through that season of, of my wife hating me and at the same time being destroyed by my actions. Mm. You know, like she trusted me, you know, and, and I, I betrayed her and here I am trying to fix whatever it is in me that, that made me do those things because I never wanted to. I never wanted to be a liar. I never wanted to be a cheater. And... I wanted to find out why I did those things. And at the same time of me trying to figure it out, I got I to gotta live in the house with my wife who walks around with a bleeding heart, you know, mm. that I stabbed. It was hard. And my kids suffered from it. Um, you know, my church 
turn their back on me completely. They hate me to this day. I'm, I, I was talking to somebody that, that was still over there for a little while. And they said that somebody said my name and they said, oh, we don't mention his name around here. Wow. Yeah. It hurts. It hurts a lot. <clears throat> Sometimes when I think about it, but I lost a lot of friends. Um, yeah. So about a month after I confessed, my son got diagnosed with diabetes, uh, type one. He was four, spent five nights in the hospital thought he was going to die. And then uh, about two months later, I didn't have a job. I started working at Sam's Club in the produce section. I lost a ton of weight. I was not eating. It was, it was horrible, man. But I, I started going to counseling and trying to figure out, you know, what made me think the way that I was thinking. And um, I, went on, I went through a 13-week course two times uh, of finding your identity. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and it answered almost every question that I had and the rest of them got answered in the last two years. So that brings me to today. And, and I see a lot, a lot of things I see differently. Now I see, you know, like we were talking about the legalism. I see that Mm -hmm. differently. Now I see that as um, people that are just blind. You know, I used to think, I don't know if you, you have um, like cussing on your, podcast so I won't cuss no you can you can say whatever you want okay cool. yeah <laughs> I used to think um, I, 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 I have this plaguing statement in my mind that um, Christianity has an asshole problem because there's too many of them mm. but it's I, I thought about putting that on Facebook too but then I thought no then all the assholes are going to come out and, <laughs> with with pitchforks of, <laughs> of philosophy and burning torches of Bible verses Right, but I, I don't mean that as like a strike against anybody. I just think that we're a lot of us are blind. You know, I see so many pastors spit venom um, to people that are they're just stuck in sin and they don't know why. I mean, I can I come from that side. I was stuck in sin, and yet I was I was throwing my shame on everybody else by saying that they're wrong, you're wrong, you're a sinner, blah 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 blah. But I I was struggling with it. I didn't know why I thought yeah. that way. And, and I, I have a different take on things now. Like I don't, I don't look at, I don't, I don't dig this whole shaming people into the kingdom thing or, or f- scaring people into the kingdom. You know? mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, do you, I feel like, um, at some point, cause we both, we both in pastor world, one thing I've come to the determination of that pastors and not all of them but a good majority of them are some of the most insecure people on the planet performance based yeah Yeah. but also shrouded with uh, and I don't know if it's the system that we've created in the world or at least in western Christianity or what but shrouded in this as the as the pastor, you're supposed to be you're supposed to have it all together because we're looking to you for that leadership, and so you should have clear that you have everything together. You should because you're the one teaching you're, us. Yeah, you're the you're the big man on campus. Yeah, and that's where the mask <clears throat> comes into. Yeah, so I, I kind of feel like at some point we start playing into it and we start uh, forgetting that we're just as terrible as everyone else 
Like we're just as broken. We're just as, and I think it just in humanity in general, we, I think the common, like the common, um, belief among humanity in general is that, well, we're all mostly most, we're all just really good people. And every once in a while, some bad people come along and we've got a, you know, a nut in the bunch that is messed up. And I think we forget that now I think all of us are equal parts good and have every bit the ability to be the best of humanity, but also equal parts brokenness and bad and every bit the ability to do the worst things on the planet. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people going off of that, I think (laughs) what a lot of people do is they take on the other side of that, they take the brokenness and make it their identity Mm. um, and just say, well, I'm a bad person, you know? And, and here's the thing is that I think, I think our perspectives have been so twisted. Um, I, I, I know that the best, the best way into an enemy's head is to confuse them of who they are. Because if you confuse someone of who they are, it's going to change what they do. Um, and our identity, we have an identity crisis in the body of Christ. And uh, I, I, you know, Galatians talks about, and Romans as well, talks about uh, the spirit of Christ in us crying out, Abba, Father, that word daddy. Abba is the Hebrew for daddy. And I think we've lost that, um, that daddy child relationship identity mm-hmm. in us. Here's how I think, this is just what I think that we should see the way we should see ourselves and the see humanity in general. I, I, I get this picture of, of an orphan in an orphanage, but doesn't know she's in an orphanage mm-hmm. and doesn't really remember her family, but knows she was taken from their family, her family. And the queen is out roaming the streets looking for her daughter that was abducted. And in, in, in life, I feel like we should look at ourselves as the orphan in an orphanage that we don't realize we're, we were abducted from our father, who is the king, and the queen is out looking for us. Um, and that should be the bride of Christ. That should be the one who's bringing the orphans home. So if we were to look at people in the perspective of orphans, like, like if I were to see you, the meth addict, uh, as an orphan, um, instead of someone who has just made horrible choices in life. So if I think that, you know, you're just, you're just a bad person, then I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to show you different treatment mm. because no, you made those bad choices. Yeah. But what if you don't know why you made those bad choices? What if you're, what if you're in bondage to something? What if you're enslaved to something and you just really want to be set free? I mean, I, I, I'm not going to come over here with this magic wand, but I'm going to, I'm going to sew into that, you know? And I think that if we looked at people differently um, through those lens, we'd see a lot more, a lot greater things accomplished. Um, I, I, I didn't get into an argument with this guy, but I, I said something to this guy. There's this really famous pastor um, from Tennessee, and he posts rants about Hillary Clinton. <laughs> I do not get into the, the political. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't. I haven't put one political post on my Facebook. I just don't do it. I, I just don't see the point in it. Um, but I know a lot of people in the Christian circles despise Hillary Clinton. <coughs> but 
here's the thing is that this guy was, was attacking her and attacking her and attacking her and saying just horrible things about her. And, and I'm not a supporter of Hillary Clinton. I'm not a supporter of Trump either. I just, let me throw that out there. You know, um, I just don't think you should attack somebody like this. And so I said something yeah. to him because he is a pastor saying these things to his church leaders, uh, almost like, like let's, let's string her up. And, and hang her from a tree or something. And I'm just thinking, mm-hmm. what? What is this talk? You know, like if we were to see Hillary, like let's just let's just use Hillary, Hillary and all of her faults, fault, faults and flaws that we think she has, um, and that we think disqualifies her from being a president. What if we saw her through the eyes of an orphan and said, well, she just doesn't know what she's doing. Same thing with Trump and all those flaws and faults that he has that we think disqualifies him for being president. Mm-hmm. What if we saw him as through the lens of of that scenario that he's an orphan that has lost his way from his father? Same with Obama. Same with any. So anyway, I said I said to this guy because he was talking about you, we need to rise up and take this nation back, and I just thought, okay, so what happens if Hillary does become the president? Are you not going to honor her because you know, first? Second uh, Peter, First or Second Peter, tells us to honor our leaders, mm-hmm. honor those that are in authority, honor the emperor, is what it says. Mm-hmm. And at that time, the emperor was crucifying and, and torturing Christians. I mean, he was it was mm-hmm. the same dynasty of Nero where he lit the garden with with Christian bodies on fire. And and Peter saying, you know that guy that's that's torturing you guys and that's killing you guys and it's okay, it's legal for him to do that. I want you to honor that guy. What? <laughs> But in our culture, honor is earned. It's it's deserved, you know. So anyway, I don't know how I got on that tangent. Uh, no, that's a good tangent, though. <laughs> that's a uh, man. Yeah, I think you're you're so right. Like it's uh, I have a, another guy that was on that was on our on my podcast uh, a few episodes ago, talking about race. He's a black man, and he was talking about race and his experience and all that, and his. <clears throat> his approach to people is looking, uh, viewing them as a child, like a five-year-old. Mm-hmm. You know, you expect you expect a five-year-old to act out in certain ways and not understand the choices they make sometimes and the, right. all of that. And he said, "I just view everyone through that lens because at some points, as even as adults, we're all like five-year-olds, where we make a decision and we don't realize we're making that decision. We don't know why we're making that decision. We're acting out because." of some identity crisis that we're having, having or whatever. And the best response we can have to them is to love them in spite of all of those things. Right. Because as a parent, that's how you like, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't say about a three-year-old, the things that people say about Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or other people that they disagree with. Right. You know, you would look at that three-year-old and like, yeah, that's a good philosophy to have. And plus, I mean, Christians, uh, you know, people that call themselves Christians, um, we have a code that we're called to. And it's, you know, Jesus, one of the last things he said is love each other the way I've loved you. And, and there's deep meaning in the, in the, the original language of that. It's there's, there was two words he could have used. He could have said phileo, which is like a brotherly love where we get Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. um, uh, and that's a reaction love. That's that love that, that I come home from work and my wife has made my favorite meal. I don't have a favorite meal, but pretend I did. 
and then the everything is laid. My clothes are laid out for the next day. Like she just does all these things to show me she loves me, um, and she gives me a gift and whatever. And and I my reaction is all I'm just in shock of all these things. Oh here I got you tickets to the game this Saturday or whatever. And I just think oh my gosh I love you. That's like a reaction love, and that's a good love. It's a philia love, but that's not the love that Jesus calls us to do. Mm-hmm. What he calls us to do is agape love. And while philia love is a, or philia love, how do you say it in the Greek? I don't know. But uh, while that's a reaction love, agape is an action love. And it's it's this, you know, the, the other philia is like, um, I love you because of how awesome you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but agape love is I love you even when you're un- unlovable. I'm going to choose to love you even when you're unlovable. Mm-hmm. So, so what's the basis for being lovable? Well, whatever our culture has told us. And so, you know, you, you do something royally stupid. Am I going to love you based off of what you did? Or am I going to love you based off of what you are? Mm-hmm. You know? So, <clears throat> I mean, I feel like that's one of the boldest things that that you could do like I screwed up I had these affairs I'm going to tell you about it and then I'm going to let it whatever happened happens and I'm going to deal with that and move on uh, how was I, first of all I'm impressed that your wife didn't kill you on the on the spot she tried <clears throat> yeah I'm quick <clears throat> nah, she, she it was funny because she and it's funny now. It was not funny at the time, but she had me in a corner with a shovel in her hand. Um, and this was like this. I think it was like two nights after I confessed, and and um, and I'm 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 there. I, in my in my head, I know she's not going to do anything with the shovel, but I, I was starting to question it because she was she had that that crazy look in her eye where her eyes glaze over, you know. And she's like, "Will you please just let me beat the crap out of you with a shovel?" And I said, listen, you don't want to do that because if you do that, the neighbors are going to hear, they're going to call the cops. If the cops show up and I'm all bloody and you've got a shovel in your hand, you're going to jail and I can't stop them. And, and, and we, we had like this hour conversation of me standing in the corner. She wouldn't let me sit down. She, she's, she's Spanish, so wow. she's a little fiery. But yeah, I didn't mean to take that off and take another team. No, uh, man, that's, a, that's amazing. So what uh how long ago was that when you when uh, you told July her? July 22nd 2 years ago <clears throat> 2014 so okay so it's been 2 years mm-hmm. um where are things at with you with you guys now you know when i talk about this <clears throat> i don't even know I, I almost feel like people would think i'm making it up you know, like if you if if i were in your shoes and i asked me where I'm at now, and I said what I'm about to say, I'd be like, okay, cool, whatever. But in February was when I said that my wife let go of her anger and, and she f- chose to forgive her father for what he had done to her. Um, <clears throat> since that moment, it's uh, it's it almost sounds cliche or fantasy, but it, it has been extreme bliss, like. I don't, what a cliche to say joy unspeakable because we don't really understand what that means when we say it in our Christian circles. Like, it's that joy unspeakable, brother. But I don't know how to describe the joy. And I think that's what that means in my house. But yeah. we have been so happy. We haven't, since that, since February, um, we've just been so happy. We've been so content. We've been growing, getting deeper, uh, deeper in intimacy between us, but also with the Lord and, 
just growing our family, seeing our family um, get stronger. And I, it's fantastic. It is, it is fantastic in a literal sense too. Mm-hmm. Like you, it was like, it's like something you would read or see on a movie, <clears throat> the way, how happy we are. Yeah. So you, you being honest and open about all that stuff and starting to work through all that stuff on your own, uh, like not on, not by yourself, but working on yourself and putting that stuff out there triggered as she is processing all the anger and being brokenhearted with all that. Did that trigger things for her? Or? You know, as you, as you say that, here's what, here's what my thoughts are. I think authenticity is, pro, is very provocative. I think it mm. provokes others. Um, the whole reason I confessed or the whole reason I was pushed to confess, um, and urged myself to confess was because of Caleb Hires. You know, he was, he had become a really close friend of me and he was so authentic and it, it exposed me. It made me want to, it, it provoked me. His authenticity provoked me. And I confessed to my wife and, and she wanted nothing to do with me in, in she she has a whole other side to it because she heard the voice of the Lord too. He told her to stay when she really didn't want to, but she chose to listen. So she was obedient in that too. But obviously, she had her doubts of me at first. Like, okay, he's you know he's not going to change. Blah 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 blah. But just the repetition, I think, of seeing me being an authentic human being that was striving to understand. Uh, my identity and understand why I did the things I did and wanting to change all that. Um, I think that provoked her to wanting to be completely cleansed and pure and so many, I don't know what other words to use, but yeah, I just think authenticity is provocative. I think it provokes people to be authentic. Mm. It's contagious. You know, if you get around a person that is extremely authentic, mm-hmm. you think you see that, you see their happiness, you see their joy and you see their, just their, the realness of them. And you think, I want that to be said of me. Yeah. And you start taking steps to move towards that. And I think that's what, that's what Caleb did for me. And that's what I did for my wife. So, um, when you say so for the, for the people listening to this, that, Aren't aren't Christians? Aren't they? Don't like that's not faith is not a part of their their culture, their vocabulary, their life, or anything like that. And so you talk about things like she heard the voice of the Lord, or you heard God talking to you. Um, and maybe they're going, "All right, this guy's crazy." <laughs> what would you? What like? How would you explain that to them? How would you explain like? Because most people, I think most people especially people that may not have a belief system built in of unconditional love that we're supposed to fight through it. Cause most people would say, well, she should have just killed you and left or just walked out and left. Cause you, you're an asshole. Yeah. She had the merit to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you explain? And maybe she should be here to explain her side on this, but, yeah. um, I mean, how do you explain all that? How do you explain the idea of, what the best thing for her to do or the right thing for her to do was to, I think a lot of times, uh, first of all, I think we have a horrible indoctrination of, of understanding the voice of the Lord. I think we mm-hmm. either think it's supposed to be like the movies in like James Earl Jones's <clears throat> voice or Morgan right. Freeman's voice, or we think it's supposed to be, um, just some, some urging that I have peace with, you know, and that's more of the contemporary Christian culture. Just, um, 
I feel okay about this. I don't have a, a, a guilty conscience about this. So the Lord is telling me to do this. And I think it's neither. I think the Lord speaks to us in many different ways and we've just learned not to listen to them and we need to relearn how to listen to them, uh, to the ways that he, he talks to us. But he, he speaks to us in visions. He speaks to us in dreams and pictures. Um, you know, a lot of times when I'm praying and I'm trying to listen to the Lord, I'll see like images and stuff. Um, and in the Bible, he, he talks a lot about like when he's talking to the prophets, like Jeremiah, what do you see? You know, Jonah, what do you see? Mm. Nehemiah, what do you see? Ezekiel, what do you see? Um, and so um, there's the, those ways. But I think for both in these, in these two scenarios where I heard tell her and trust me, do you trust me? Tell her. And she heard just the word stay. Her story is this. And I'll give you the background of it. She was driving up to Jacksonville. This was like two days after I confessed. And she said, I'm going to go and stay with my sister in Jacksonville. You're going to take care of the kids. And I just need to get away. And I said, okay, I'll do whatever you need me to. So she drove up, stayed with her sister. On the way to Jacksonville, she was driving through Orlando. And she said, she started praying. And she said, God, I don't, I don't care what my family tells me. I don't care what my church tells me. I don't care what my friends tell me. Because everybody now is coming out, like, out of the woodwork saying, oh, my yeah. gosh, we heard about what happened. You need to kill them. You need to leave them. You need to whatever. And she's saying, I don't care about what anybody's saying. I just want to know what you're saying and what do you want me to do? And she says that she heard a voice say, and it was the most calm voice that she could hear, stay. And she questioned it at first. She said, God, is that my voice or is that your voice? Are you really telling me that? Because she didn't want to hear it, number one. Mm -hmm. She wanted someone to tell her, you can leave him. Because she felt guilty for leaving me, I guess. But she wanted someone to say, it's okay for you to leave him. Um, and plenty of people did, but she still wasn't listening. And so she says, God, is that, is that your voice or am I just, is that what I'm thinking in my head? And, and then she heard a, 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 a sentence say, um, my sheep know my voice. And so that moment was when she decided I'm going to stay and it, this sucks because I hate him, but I'm going to stay. <laughs> so I think, you know, for the people that, that don't understand it. I think that the main reason is because Christians don't understand it in most general aspect. Yeah. We don't understand the voice of the Lord. Um, I think I do. And, and I, and I, I think I'm in a very select group of people. Then that's tragic. That's not a boasting of me. That's, mm -hmm. that's something tragic. I just was fortunate enough to be in a, a group of people that taught me these things. And it's been very, very, beneficial to my understanding of my identity mm -hmm. and my growing my relationship with the Lord um, and with, and with loving people too. Mm -hmm. It really it edify, helps me edify other people, you know? Um, uh, I find it fascinating. And I think this, I think this happens a lot of times in a lot of different ways in life and a lot of different avenues of life. When someone does something where they choose to do something out of the norm, quote unquote, you know, <clears throat> whether it be start something or chase a dream, whatever it is, I'm so fascinated by people's advice being so negative mm. about that. So for, in this case, you're going to land flat on your face. <laughs> yeah. In this, right. And in this case, when like you, you and your wife that everyone tells, tells her you should, you should leave him. He's terrible you know, whatever words that they use. And I'm sure maybe somewhere in there, someone, someone might've said, Hey, try to work it out. But 
fascinated by the fact that everyone, it's almost like we want other people to be miserable the way that we are and to fail the way that maybe we have. Yeah. Um, I think there, I think there is some truth to that statement. Misery loves company. Yeah. Uh, but that is a fascinating thing to me that our first response most time would be, yeah, you should, you should cut and run. You deserve it. You deserve to be happy. You deserve to be out of that. And it's almost like a, a, a breath <laughs> A breath of relief, you know, like when we see somebody else struggling in such a way that, oh, you're not perfect. Oh, good. I'm not either. You know, we had, we had friends, we had friends that, um, my daughter was supposed, they were getting married and my daughter was supposed to be the flower girl. Um, I was supposed to do the wedding. I understand why they don't want me to do the wedding now. (laughs) Um, Wait, they, they, (laughs) no, they, they completely (laughs) shut us off. Yeah. And my wife you know, my wife was a victim. My wife was not a bad, the, wasn't the bad guy in this story. I was, you know, and they completely cut her off as if she's some horrible person. And she would say like on Instagram and stuff, she would, they would post pictures of like, uh, the, the wedding dress or whatever. And, and my wife would like put something, Oh, it looks so beautiful. Um, and ask him a question. Have you guys set a date yet? And someone else would ask a question underneath and then, they would talk, they would answer to her, but not my wife completely mm. skipping over just, and then we would, they would text, we would text them and nothing. And, and it was just like, why, why? And, and a lot of people at the church too, that we were at completely turned her back, turned their back on both of us as if I'm the evil villain and she's an idiot for staying with me or something, yeah. you know, yeah, just completely shut us off. And I, and I don't understand it. And why would people that are supposed to be so loving and so um, thrilled about restoration, how can they be so quick to to throw us into the pits of hell, um, like Spartan style, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, this is Sparta, get out of here, kind of thing. Um, how can they be so quick to do that to us? And that's, I'm still trying to understand that, but I think it has a lot to do with just their own shame. And like you said, misery loves company. Like, I... Uh, they'll they'll be quick to give that bad advice, but then they'll drop it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, that's my thought. Yeah, that is amazing. And like I said, I think what you're doing, what you've lived through, and what you how you're living that out and telling that story is bold. I think it's one of the boldest things someone could do because I, even in even in our culture, like you look at not to not again not to make it all political, but just the culture that it is right now where you've got Hillary Clinton running and all the history of Bill Clinton and people that revile her because they, they say, well, you enabled him and you've allowed him, you've, you've allowed him to get away with that and you are still married to him. Mm-hmm. Now you could argue it's political gain or whatever, like it makes more sense politically, but, um, it, it's fascinating to me that when, when someone tries to, we're gonna do the right thing and I'm going to try to walk through all of this and be honest and authentic, like you said about it, that the first thing we do is just kick them in the balls or kick them, you know, <laughs> kick them in the face. And like, now how dare you try to, yeah. try to be, try to be bold. I had a guy, um, he, he called me and he, he wanted to meet up with me and he, he had completely shut me off and, uh, he called me and we met for coffee and I told him, I said, why, why did you want to meet with me? Cause I thought you hated me. And he's like, well, I just wanted to officially forgive you. And I'm like, whoa, I started bawling right there. 
Um, well, that's, that might be dramatic. I, I started tearing up. And then he's getting married, and his soon-to-be father-in-law was uh, at my church, very active in my church and when I was the pastor. And that guy wouldn't even look me in the eye after I confessed, you know. And, um, and here I was, you know, I didn't, I didn't get caught. You know, I laid it all down yeah. willingly. Um, but because I wanted to be restored, I wanted to be yeah. the person I was supposed to be. And, and that wasn't good enough. And so uh, he was talking to me about his wedding and it's coming up in this December. And he said, um, he said, well, I want to talk to you about something. I think you may have texted this to me later. He said, I want to talk to you about something. Um, I'm going to have a bachelor party before the, the wedding. And I want you to be there. I think my father-in-law would probably kill me if I, if I invited you to the wedding. Though. Hmm. And I still, I still wrestle with how am I supposed to take that, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I just don't understand. This is not an indictment against him. him because, sure. Uh, I love him, and I'm, I'm very grateful for his forgiveness. But uh, I just cannot understand how we, as the body, we, just as human, humanity, how can we, if we realize we're all flawed and we're all faulted, and there's no degree of that in, in the gauge and scale uh, of, of the Lord, how can we turn a blind eye to restoration? Mm-hmm. Like if you, if you break something and it gets fixed, you get happy. That's right. a that's a good day, but not in humanity. I don't understand that. Yeah, not in our not in our emotions, not in our, you know, our our character. Yeah, like I had some serious serious things broken in my character, and those things have been restored. Those things have been fixed. But it's like we don't trust that those things can be fixed. Yeah, you know, like I don't. People don't trust that I'm different. They don't trust that I'm I'm completely different. Mm-hmm. And I, you, rem, I don't know if your your my my interaction with you was not very um, well. We didn't have a lot of interaction before my confession yeah. came after. But but anybody that knows me before can tell you that I am not the same person that I was then. But there there's so all the, there's this world of people that won't even give me the chance because of the facts. Yeah, and they don't trust that a character can be restored. Yeah, just, which is fascinating because those people, most of those people are are. Ascribed to a belief system right. that is all based on it's the center rest- point restoration. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting, and I think I think that all speaks exactly what you said that authenticity is provocative. That it uh, it's almost like a mirror. I think uh, you know, and even in the idea of boldly going and whether whatever that is, like if you start a new business and you start a new venture, you become the. You, you become the, uh, the mirror to the people that aren't doing that thing. Right. And it almost, I think it almost angers us when someone else is doing it. And um, there's, a, there's a lot of unrecognition of our own faults and problems that we, you know, we need to deal with rather yeah. than going, screw that guy for, yeah. Yeah. or girl for doing, doing their, the thing that they love. Yeah. So... Um, man, that's an amazing, it's an amazing story. What, um, and that's exactly why I wanted you to tell that story. And I wanted people, I want people to hear that because, um, especially in this podcast, people, when we talk about boldly going, most people we've interviewed have all, it's all been different things, but it's all, you know, a lot of times around the thing that they started, the business they're growing or the passion that they're pursuing. Um, not as much around of a lifestyle or, 
life choices that they that they've made to right. be better as a person. And uh, dude, you're incredible, incredible example. Oh, thank you, man. Absolutely, you're welcome. That honors me. So, um, before we finish out, a couple things. One, uh, quickly talk about humanities and what that is. Okay. Um, well, right now it's nothing, but <laughs> uh, I started a t-shirt company. I, I, I think I mentioned in my story that I went to the country of Nepal. Mm-hmm. Um, and anytime you go to another country and you, you spend some time there and you spend some time, especially with the poor, and you see the heart of the country, it, it becomes a part of you. And that's why people always, when they go on mission trips, stuff, they oh, I can't wait to go back. And, so I got a, I have a big heart for that area, and I can't wait to go back. It's just, um, it's a very, very expensive trip, not just financially, but just energy-wise. And it's a big trip. I mean, it, I was over there for two, two weeks. Um, anyway, so uh, when I was over there, I noticed um, the water is very dirty, and the people are very non-materialistic. And I thought over here. Um, our, we have access to clean water. I won't say that our water's clean because yeah. there's plenty of evidence that it's not. But uh, but we're but we're very materialistic. And I thought, what if I can combine the combine the materialism aspect of our culture to do something good, kind of like the Tom's idea. Mm-hmm. Tom's, you buy a shoe and it provides a, a pair of shoes for someone else. And um, and I think people may have forgotten about that, but. Um, so anyway, I, I, I bounced around a couple ideas of, of creating T-shirts um, that specifically designed for a country, um, and we would help them learn how to purify water. And so that was the first step. And then the second step was I, I, I met this guy in Australia, um, and he's an engineer. And I, I cannot, for the life of me, remember his last name, but his name's Sydney. Interesting that he's from Australia. Just realized that. Anyway, um, but anyway, he's an engineer, and and he developed uh, in the country of Laos or Laos, however you say that. He he was over there, and he developed a way that they could, with very primitive materials, create their own water filters out of clay and coffee grounds oh, wow. and okay. PVC pipe, and and so he he was just happened to be headed to Nepal to do the same thing in workshops, and so what we wanted to do was to partner with him as he's teaching them to do these um, homemade water filters. Um, instead of us sending, like, here's a truckload of water filters. Right. And when they're gone, what what then? We yeah. want to teach them how to be self-sustaining mm-hmm. uh, water filtration technology in their country. So, so that was the premise behind it. We were going to sell T-shirts. The profit from those T-shirts was going to go to, um, to doing that. But... Um, we just we have hit a lot of hiccups in the past uh, couple of months. So right now it's paused and we're in regroup mode because mm-hmm. we want it to be successful. Yeah, know? it's a good premise, but we were just not we weren't executing it the right way. I think, and um, we weren't getting our all of our heads on the right page. Um, so we're we're regrouping in the process. Yeah, but I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be fun, and it's going to it's going to do something worth worthwhile you know with yeah. the energy yeah no I think that's awesome I love the idea and it makes sense regrouping I mean it it's uh, fits with your story <laughs> of you had to regroup at one point and yeah. get things back on track and go in the right direction so 
that's really cool. But you have like your you have like Instagram and stuff like that. Yeah, it's um, we people we can follow. Yeah, we we haven't updated in a while. Like I said, we're we're in the hiatus mode, but website's still up. The website is still up and running. Um, I don't think you can buy anything off of it right now because everything's shut down. But okay, what's the website? So people can humanities dot com, but not like. So humanity, oh, yeah, yeah. T E E S. I forgot, like. forgot that aspect. <laughs> so it's spelled H U E M A N A T E E S. So it's it's like a play on words and seller aspect because we're doing we're dealing with T-shirts. So it's T's um, humanity, but it's also we have the manatee as our logo. So it's that's like our 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 lo- our emblem is the manatee. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, people can check that out, and when you get things going, I mean, I'm sorry. They, can, they can be following you it's, when you get things going. Where are you going? It's humanities.org. I just remember humanities.org. Yeah. Got it. Okay. I'm horrible at this plug. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. There'll be links. We'll put a link to it on okay. the on the uh, site and everything. So, um, uh, so I always like to I like to finish out the podcast with two questions. Mm-hmm. One. Final question to you, and then one question, final question to the listener. Um, in your opinion, do you do you believe that every person has the ability to quote unquote boldly go um, in your in in reference to your story, be authentic, and take those steps of, of boldly being authentic and going? Yeah, I I think, and I'm sure everybody tells you, yeah, but. I, I think no, always sometimes on the fence. Oh yeah, yeah. I think um, I think it's all a matter of of identifying your restraints. Um, I, I again, I see people. Um, I see them through a different lens. I see them as people that are in jail. They're in prison and and in bondage to different things. And a lot of them are just it's just delusion. It's just delusion. I, a lot of times people think they are something that they're not. If you grow up thinking that you're worthless, then you're going to act like you're worthless. If you grow up thinking you're stupid because you were told you were stupid, you're, you're going to act stupid. But if you're grown up and, and life is spoken into you, then then those things, which is truth, I mean, then those things can manifest and bring fruit. But I think that if if you had the unfortunate situation of growing up in, a, in an environment that that was very negative and and I think that could put things on you that that will enslave you but if you get those things off man you, the sky's the limit for anybody mm-hmm. you know just in different different facets I think you know you have your talents I have my talents you have your niche I have my niche you know you have your heart your passion your potential and I have mine and it's it doesn't mean that either one is better than the other mm-hmm. it's just they're different. They're different flavors, and they're both excellent flavors. And I think everybody has their own flavor. That sounds so stupid. No, that's a great answer. <laughs> okay. No, that's a fantastic answer. You're, I, yeah. Uh, identifying your restraints, and uh, you're right. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, you can. You know, it, what you tell people is what eventually they're going to believe about themselves, and and that determines how they act. Yeah, absolutely. And so you're a great you're a great example of that being that being told to you, and you made your mistakes, but turning that around right. and re, I guess relearning. Oh yeah, your identity. I had to relearn a lot of things, not just my identity. 
relearn not controlling not controlling people and their situation just trust yeah I had to relearn trust I had to relearn a lot but the biggest one was identity yeah yeah that I'm not a worthless POS yeah that's amazing you have a great story man thanks, <laughs> thanks for man. thanks for telling it thanks for putting it on oh, thank you for having me on tape as they say <laughs> so um so uh to all the listeners out there, final question to you. You've heard a story. You've heard an incredible story. Um, and a little bit different than the than the normal boldly going story. But I think it's very poignant. I think it's I think it speaks to the to the humanity of all of us and all of our struggle. Uh, because no matter what we pursue or passion, all that kind of stuff really is born out of our identity. And if that's messed up and out of whack whatever we put our hands to your work is going to be a little bit out of whack as well. So you as a listener, my question to you, final question as we always end it, um, what can you do this week? Uh, what one or two things can you do this week to begin boldly going? And um, in reference to Daniel's story, uh, what can you do, begin doing this week to be more authentic, um, to help you be bold? And uh, you don't have to accomplish everything right out of the gate. You don't have to get the whole the whole picture and uh, paint the whole picture right out right out of the gate. But what can you do to start and begin going down that road? Uh, so think about that. Take that with you this week. Take Daniel's story, share it, and uh, really internalize it. And hopefully, it'll be an inspiration to you this week uh, as you uh, as you. Um, sort of looking for. I don't know, but as you journey, 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 yeah, I was trying to think of the word trek down your journey, I don't traverse, know. traverse your journey, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, you got it. So, dude, Daniel, I keep wanting to call you Cole because that's that's, fine. that's how I. I don't get mad. I cringe when people call me Cole. That's another great story, but we don't. Have, we're yeah. not going to go into it. Yeah, because that is your that is your name, but it's your middle name, right? That you went by for a long time. Yeah, Daniel is <laughs> my first name. It was another result of <clears throat> someone else listening to God. He did not know that my name was Daniel, and he came up to me and said, God's calling you Daniel. He's going to teach you what it means to be a son because your dad never taught you. And from that moment on, I've gone by Daniel. Wow. And the guy didn't know that was my name. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> that's, uh, that's fascinating, and I, um, again, with your story, I think, you know, some people might think it's crazy to make some changes like that, but I think there is something powerful about for lack of a better term, naming it, naming whatever that thing is. I mean, we see it in movies all the time, like sci-fi movies or horror movies. Like that whole that whole idea of like naming what that fear is makes a whole a world of difference in how you respond to that. And being able to say, I mean, Harry Potter, the name the name we don't say, but when we when they would speak it, yeah. yeah. You know? I think well, not not to keep this podcast going. No, no, you're fine. I think uh, there's a lot of humility in that needs to come into play when you really want to be authentic it takes a lot of humility and there's a the bible there's a bible verse that that i i lived by for the first couple months um, that it kind of held on to as a promise Um, and it's first john 1 9 it says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness we don't really talk about that last part and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness Mm -hmm. does that just mean the record of our unrighteousness or does it mean the really unrighteous things that are within me that I don't want there. And that was my case. I, 
I thought a, a way that I didn't want to think. I had these, this drive that I didn't want for these extramarital affairs. I had a drive to those things. Mm. You know, I had, I had this pull, this addiction to those things, and I didn't want it. And you, t- you talk to any addict, none of them want to be addicted. Not one. Yeah. They, they hate the fact that they're addicted, but they can't stop. And uh, so I held to this, if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from unrighteousness. I just wanted him to cleanse me from this. I wanted it gone. I wanted him to rewrite the way I thought. And uh, there was a lot of humility in, in confessing because it's not just confessing the ones you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. It's not just identifying the, the problems that you're comfortable with. <clears throat> it's, it's a full slate clean, like here's everything. Right. I, want, I want to be completely <clears throat> clean of this. Here it is, and I want it fixed. And I think it's the humility that he works with. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. I think that um, a phrase, even in even in non-religious circles, it gets used a lot. The, the truth will set you free. Yeah. Um, I think that speaks to and opens that up a little bit more because we in religious world we we typically um, just pinpoint that into following Christ, like confessing right. your sin and you know, turning from that. And, but I don't think that, I think it's much broader than that. Of, deeper, yeah. Of, of, uh, you know, the dishonesty and all of those things, um, they, they shackle you. They're, they're like a prison cell. Yep. Like you said earlier, yeah. Yeah. when you start being honest about those things, authenticity sets yeah. you free. Yeah. So, yeah, I have so much I could go into, but I know you're going to wrap it up, so we'll... No, that's all right. I mean, listen, we'll we'll do a part two. Okay. We'll, we'll come back and do it again. That'd be fun. Um, yeah, because there, there's... Man, yeah, there's a ton. There's a ton about your story, and uh, I could sit here and talk to you about all this stuff all night. Yeah, I always love our conversations, man. Yeah, me too. So thanks for being on, man. Thank you. Uh, and guys, go, uh, go check out Humanities and follow Daniel and <clears throat> stick with his story. I think one day there'll be a book in here that... <laughs> You'll be able to you'll be able to read. So thanks for being on, dude. Thanks, man.